This is Donna Gates with Body Ecology Living. Thank you for joining us today. I am interviewing a friend today, Leanne Eli. She is the founder of SavingDinner.com, the original menu planning website. It's been online since 2001, and she's a national spokesperson for Meals on Wheels and the founder of the Take Back the Dinner Table movement. Just that alone has 100% of my support because I'm a big believer that we should be sitting down and chewing our foods and enjoying our meals, and it's so important for digestion, as Leanne points out in the book that she has just written, which is called Part-Time Paleo. And when I found out she was doing this book and then found out the title, I thought that is so cool because most of the time people don't do anything 100% of the time. And they feel guilty if they can't because of their time schedule or whatever, uh, other family members that are just not cooperating and doing what they're doing. So this is going to be a fun interview, I think. Um, Leanne also lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, one of my favorite cities in the country because I'm from the South myself. Uh, so let me welcome my guest, Leanne Eli. Her book is called Part-Time Paleo, How to Go Paleo Without Going Crazy. Welcome. <laughs> Donna, thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate you taking the time because I know when a new book comes out, people are super-duper busy. But, it um, is crazy, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, the classic question that you always have to ask me at the beginning is, why did you write this book? <laughs> Well, I wrote this book, you know, it's funny, I think a lot of times that we come to different places in our life, you know, something is always the driving force, and for me it wasn't that I wanted to, you know, um, go to, uh, you know, start lifting weights and, and going crazy and, and wearing Vibrams, and, you know, I, it wasn't, wasn't that I wanted to do that whole paleo lifestyle, it was because I had a health crisis, and I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism back in 2003, and it wasn't until 2009 that I found out that what I actually had was Hashimoto's. And um, I fired my doctor after she said that, well, it doesn't matter if you have Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism because you just treat them the same. And I said, I need a different doctor. And that's when I found um, a good doctor who completely changed things up for me and made these suggestions about going gluten-free and dairy-free. And um, I just thought, well, that's craziness, you know, and I've been a nutritionist since um, the 90s. And, you know, I was taught whole grains, um, you know, you want to go low-fat dairy, you know, the whole, you know, the classic um, American diet kind of stuff and, you know, lots of whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I was really curious, you know, no whole grains. Well, what about the fiber? And, you know, just like everybody else. But I started to do my research and um, was really kind of blown away and just thought, wow, this is, uh, this isn't just about, you know, CrossFit Vibram wearing people. This is about uh, getting a hold of health issues and that I had no idea that gluten and dairy were so um, amazingly connected, you know, with antibodies and specifically with autoimmune thyroiditis. So I decided to step away from those two things um, and, you know, I made some other switches up and that, of course, I talk about that in the book about the beans and the, you know, um, and about potatoes and a few other things. But it was just that, it was a health crisis. And 
you know, I did some, several other things, of course. It's never just one thing. But key to anything and any big change is always getting a hold of the diet and always getting a hold of what needs to happen. And I'm sure you saw too, Donna, in my book, um, that I, I'm a big, I'm very um, into fermented foods and, uh, you know, in, in the gut biome and, and just having that digestive, getting that digestive stuff fixed was very, very critical for me. Well, that was one thing I was going to bring up today in the conversation, because the first thing I did as I was, you know, you pick up the book for the first time and you kind of skim through it. I thought, oh, good. Leanne mentioned fermentation. So I'm, I'm I, you know, I've noticed that there's been an awareness lately in the paleo movement for uh, on fermentation, which is great. And I, and I think, uh, well, it's especially great because I think if you're eating a whole lot of protein and a whole lot of fat, way some people are doing paleo, you can get in trouble. And I know that eating the fermented foods helps so much with digestion. And I also noticed that you really understand the importance of chewing. So let's talk about a little bit more about digestion because some people know this already, and but they can't hear it enough, I think, because our busy lifestyle, we don't chew. And then a lot of people don't really know much about digestion. So if we could dwell a little bit just on digestion and the good bacteria and why why should that be why did you bring the fermented foods into the book and why do you think it should be part of a paleo lifestyle or part-time paleo lifestyle well yeah exactly because it's such a pleasure to really balance what's going on in your gut and to give your gut what it needs in order to be making the beneficial bacteria that we need we all know that we've you know me you everybody we've all been hit with antibiotics, whether knowingly or unknowingly, in our either in our food or just, you know, by virtue of the fact that doctors um, tend to prescribe, over-prescribe antibiotics and stressful lifestyles and all the other things that go into ruining our gut. Um, we need to do things that we can to build it back up and to give it the, the raw material it needs in order to fix itself. And fermented foods is just is one of the bone broth and fermented foods are two of my go-to things. And I really give um, fermented foods and and bone broth huge credit for fixing my gut. I think I'm always and probably all of us are in the process of fixing uh, a broken gut. And of course, the one thing that I did I do talk about quite extensively in the book is just that it all starts with digestion. And without proper digestion, you can eat a $10 meal and get about, you know, 35 cents worth of nutrition because your body isn't, you know, isn't capable of taking in the nutrition. And that's why it's so important to eliminate things like gluten and dairy from your diet. And it's also so important to add the fermented foods in and the things that also heal like the bone broth. So that, that to me was a big game changer. Well, would you explain to people why bone broths are so powerfully healing? And also, um, even though, again, there are some people listening that are already know all about bone broths and are probably making them and using them, there are many people who are going to find our podcasts and they don't know anything about them. So let's, um, for the beginners out there, talk about bone broths. And, and I know you have lots of wonderful recipes in the book so and recipes for bone broths, but why are they so good for the gut? 
Well, first of all, the we need the glutamine and the collagen that you get from bones is is like no other. And the way that bone broth is made over a period of days, and I do it in the slow cooker, using vinegar to extrapolate the minerals and the glutamine and the collagen and everything, take it out of the bone. <laughs> Excuse me. And that is, you know, that nutrients that feed and heal the gut. And that's in the bone broth. And, you know, animals and people, we all store, that's where we store our minerals is, is there in the bones. We, so when we're using animal, obviously from a clean source, uh, so you want grass-fed meat bones, you, you want pastured organic chicken bones and backs and things to make your um, bone broths with. Those are the things that are going to give you a absolutely delicious um, soup stock for just pennies. It's very, very expensive, and you're going to have a tremendous benefit because it is so healing to the gut, and it helps with your digestion. It helps It helps the gut all the way down, and you know, our gut is is a very, very long tube, and there's a lot that can go wrong with um, just our frantic lifestyles that we lead, and like I said, all the, you know, the junk that we've that we've put in that have, has disrupted our digestion and just the way we eat. I mean, we don't chew, we gulp. And we don't, you know, we take in a lot of air and you see people chugging food down and then chugging down great big old glasses of water or, you know, sodas or whatever it is. And we're just, it's just, it's a wonder that we're even upright on two legs walking around <laughs> considering how poorly we treat ourselves. Well, you know, a um, couple of points that I'd like to add to that, um, that this is something you'll never want to stop doing, eating bone broths, for example. And I think it's great that you've got recipes for making them in a slow cooker. I love that you added that and other slow cooker recipes because I think slow cookers are amazing and for, particularly today more than ever. Um, I'm probably going to, if you don't mind in a minute, I'd like to ask you what brand you prefer to use. But I did want to just add that or give an example. Um, I was very busy this weekend. I, I gave a, a talk at the Women's Wellness Conference and talking to tons of people all weekend. And so on Monday and definitely today too, I'm, I'm t definitely still tired because I didn't sleep at all. And But it's very interesting because I noticed that my stomach is just not working like nor it normally does. Um, and um, and that's because my adrenals are low right now. So th mm -hmm. these, you know, I'm spending a couple of days trying to do a little bit less than normal and do them, you know, like from a resting comfortable chair to build my energy up. And that's what I know I need to do to make my stomach working better again. But, you know, I think we just always have to be aware that, uh, everything in the body, every organ is connected to the digestive tract, and it needs constant care, tender, loving care throughout our life. And I think bone broths and fermented foods are uh, things that you'll want to have. Well, to me, fermented foods every day, and bone broths you could even have every day, a cup of oh, bone yeah. broth. <laughs> but um, so what, what, um, what are your favorite bone broths uh, recipes? And you personally, just what is your, what is your favorite? And then also... What's your favorite slow cooker? Because there's a bunch of them on the market. Absolutely. You know, I, I go, I I like chicken bone broth. I could, I could certainly eat that all the time because it just has such a nice comforting flavor. 
Um, I've actually made it, and it sounds it's going to sound really creepy and disgusting, but with chicken feet. The first time that I ever showed somebody, you know, them cooking in my in my crockpot, I actually posted it in our Saving Dinner Facebook group, and and the outpouring was was hilarious. So I just I just giggled the whole way. I mean, people were just so disgusted with this crockpot full of chicken feet. I mean, it is kind of uh, a little offsetting there, but but it makes the most incredible soup you've ever had. There's a lot of collagen in those feet. <laughs> and, um, you know, of course, you get them clean and you get the organic ones and all of that. But it makes the most glorious soup that you can ever have. And I have to tell you, that is my, my very favorite go-to um, bone broth is made with chicken feet. Um, the second thing is I love your standard issue Crock-Pot by Rival. Um, they do a tremendous job on their crock pots. That's what they're known for. They're the first kids on the block. Um, I like the ceramic insert. I don't like, you know, stainless or aluminum ones. As much as I like the idea of being able to, you know, pull it out and put it on the stovetop and cook in it and then throw it back in the, in the you know, in the slow cooker to cook, um, I just, I really am kind of connected, I guess you could say, to cro- the crock pot brand. And they've been good to me. I've in the I work with them, um, and I just really love. I just really love um, the way that they do their products. They do a very, very good job, and uh, that's the one that I use. Yeah, I have a ceramic one too. I think that's the brand name. I'd have to go check it. I've had it for years. But tell people why they want the collagen, especially women. Oh, goodness gracious. We, we as women, I mean, we all want beautiful skin and collagen is, you know, the number one builder of your, your, your hair, skin and nails, right? And we want that. And we also know that it is a tremendous, um, healer. It heals your gut. It is, it is that and glutamine, um, together just do wonderful things. Um, collagen, I mean, you know, every time, um, every time you see, uh, you know, you see things, collagen in injections, and you hear about collagen pills, and you hear about collagen supplements. The best way to get your collagen is by drinking good old bone broth, and you're going to get all kinds of benefits from it because it's just it's tremendous for your skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely the tastiest way to get it to become more beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have it a recipe does. in your book for seafood chowder, and I made it. But I don't do bacon and lard because I, I have had my genes tested, and I'm in that rather large category of people that uh, d- don't do well in saturated fats. And uh, my, my better fats are uh, fish oil, but especially olive oil is great, avocado too, those monounsaturated fats. And then I do well in coconut oil. Like I love the brain octane oil that Dave Asprey has, which is called um, mm-hmm. brain, uh, brain octane. So I yeah. put that in things, I but um, I can't yeah. do bacon and lard. And even when I make my broth, I always uh, put it in the refrigerator before I eat it and then take all the fat off because, um, well, and then I think also people have to consider their liver. Um, you know, some people don't digest fats well, particularly in the beginning when their gut's not healthy. So uh, I, I lo- of course, anybody that knows how to cook knows, and particularly if they know their own body, they know to make a little adjustments. But I have to say the seafood chowder was out of this world, delicious. Everybody else liked it so much that I wish I'd made three times the recipe. But um, Oh, good. I'm and, glad you enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. And um, the um, 
That's what I was going to say, too. So you also mentioned, this is another part of digestion. One of the pluses, if you ask me about paleo, is that you're you're naturally doing proper food combining, which is something I've been trying to teach people to do for over 20 years. Because um, if you do have a sensitive gut, or even if you want to keep your gut healthy, having simple meals, so in this case, like protein with, say, a dark leaf, green leafy vegetable and um some in my case I'd always have fermented vegetables on on that plate but you know that's much much easier and with paleo they've dropped the rice and the you know bread and whatever if they're having pizza there's no um crust anymore <laughs> made out of that uh, and also flour products too you know they're gumming to the intestines they right flour products to me are never on the list of a gut healthy food so i think you know, moving toward paleo, and when the paleo movement got so popular, I was really seeing what a good sign that was. I also think it's in response to the fact that so many people were vegan, and, and the vegan movement uh, went way too much into sugars, you know, with a lot of honey and dates. And I'm sort of seeing that happen a little bit too much now with the paleo. It's like they try to make it more... Um, you know, popular with people, I guess, and then they sort of lose mm-hmm. some of the integrity. What do you think about that? About, yeah, well... Adding a lot of sugar funny. to the so-called yeah. paleo, no sugar concept. Well, I think, you know, I had just, I had a conversation um, with a mutual friend of ours, Terry Walsh, oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. um, about that, and we were just actually talking about that today. And funny enough, you know, it's interesting if you can tr- if you can train yourself off of the sweet. I mean, not just let's let's not even discuss you know xylitol or stevia or you know raw honey or any of those you know supposed okay sh- for you sugars. Let's just let's just talk sweet for a minute. Whether it's high fructose corn syrup or it's stevia, the fact is is that if when we train our palates to step away from sweet and not be hooked on sweet all the time, our food starts to taste different. And that happened with me. Now, don't get me wrong. I will have a little bit of dark chocolate every once in a while, and I will usually, you know, well, in our our recent conference, you know, get the chocolate on the table, and I'll have like a little bite of chocolate there. Not Certainly not a whole bar, but a little bite. But um, normally serving a dessert, I would do something like fresh raspberries, a little bit of cold coconut milk, full-fat coconut milk, and grate some, you know, 85% dark organic chocolate over the top. And to me, that's plenty sweet. It tastes very sweet. The berries are, the, the sweetness of the berries just jump out. But it's a very occasional treat. And that would be, you know, what I would consider a permissible paleo dessert, because I've stepped far away. I've I've been through my own bout with sugar addiction years ago. I weighed well over 200 pounds, had to, you know, had to lose the chocolate altogether and just stayed far, far chocolate, like an alcoholic staying away from vodka, you know. Yeah, because it is addictive. It hits those uh, dopamine receptors in the brain, and uh, it's called the nucleus accumbens, and up shoots your dopamine, and then you feel fantastic. Your brain, the prefrontal cortex, is working really well, and then eventually you you, you drop, and then you're that's where the addiction comes in. That's absolutely right. And so for me, what I do is is I look at I I just 
stay away from from the state. Now, there's a lot of like there's paleo pancakes and there's different things for people. It's different strokes for different folks. We all have to know our own inner nutritional gurus, and we all need to understand what we can handle and what we can't. For me, I've noticed that the further away I stay from any kind of sweetness, the better off I am. And what I've noticed is that my I've had a whole shift in the way I taste anymore. And so I'll give you an example. It, yeah, your palate completely changes. So last night for dinner, I made for dinner, I made, um, we had some salmon on the grill. We had sweet potatoes that, Donna, that came out of my garden. I was so pleased. And I uh, chopped them and, and sauteed them with a little ghee and a little bit of red onion. And, oh, they were just lovely. And then I made, also made some steamed broccoli. Well, I was eating that steamed broccoli, and I was thinking to myself, this tastes sweet. This is just so delicious. This broccoli is so good. And, you know, I asked my husband, I said, isn't this this broccoli kind of sweet? Doesn't it taste good? And he just looked at me like, you know, I had an extra head or something. He goes, it doesn't taste sweet to me. But, you know, he likes his sweets. And I don't, you know, so I thought, wow, there's, that's interesting. That's the shift. You can taste the sugar in everything. And, you know, let's face it, everything has sugar in there. And because food, eventually, what does it break down to is glucose so that we can use it, you know, for our brain and all the rest. But um, you can taste it. You can taste it when you've, when you've stepped away from this sweet stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially certain vegetables like, well, sweet potatoes, super sweet. Um, and yeah. also carrots, I, I find even I even taste the sweetness now in on, onion. Of course, there is a variety of onion that is grown sweeter, and they have them in the summer. Mm-hmm. You know, we call them vidalias in Georgia, vidalia yes. onion. Yeah, I imagine you get them up there too. Oh yeah, we but, do. Um, you know, there's a um, oh. So I was going to say, fermented foods are another. That's another plus of eating them is that they're so sour that you know, they take away your desire for sugar. And also you can begin to taste the sweetness of a carrot and little kids. Like we've raised a lot of children, uh, from baby, you know, when they're born and their parents giving them the sour coconut kefir or, uh, cultured vegetables or something. They, those kids never, ever, ever want sugar. So I think it's really critical to begin raising children that way. And it, but interesting, cause I've really been into nutritional genomics for a couple of years now. And, and I just thought of this because I just gave a presentation there at the Women's Wellness Conference on this very topic. But there's actually a gene that makes you create, you know, a sweet tasting gene. So you really like sweets. Then there's a bitter tasting gene. And that gene um, makes certain foods taste bitter, particularly the cruciferous family vegetables. Um, so, so people with that gene think that broccoli or as a very common snip, by the way, very many of us have it, but it makes the broccoli or the Brussels sprouts taste really, really bitter. But, and so those people often use a lot of salt because they're trying to, you know, they know the broccoli is good for them, but then they pour in a bunch of sprinkle on a bunch of salt. But, you know, that's where a little bit of ghee or olive oil on top of it, you know, even a little bit of um, olive oil mixed with balsamic vinegar is nice because mm-hmm. um, that's, again, a sweet taste for those people that don't, you know, that have the bitter taste gene. So I'm hoping people that listen to this say, oh, I, I, I could never eat broccoli. I, I feel the same way. It's How could it be sweet? Um, 
you can kind of make it sweet and then that satisfies your gene because you may, if you feel that way, you may have that gene. So, so Leanne, um, what about, one of the things that you make, makes the book super useful is uh, the fact that you help people stock their pantry. So anybody switching over or anybody that's, you know, been paleo for a while, but they, they're falling off the wagon often. I think, um, you know, just the, the, this book is so simple and so easy to follow and so convenient too. I also love a term that you used called the paleoistas, mm-hmm. which I had never heard that term before. So I thought that's cool. Um, can you um, talk more about just a little bit about stocking your pantry? Like what do you get rid of? Let's say that when you're switching well, over. When we're switching over, yeah, we're going we're gonna to be going with, with whole foods with, you know, with easy, easily identifiable, um, you know, products like, for example, we're going to be getting rid of like the pastas and all of that stuff, and the and we're going to be getting rid of all the processed foods, and we're going to be putting in things that we can use. So in the pantry, we would have things like, you know, canned tomatoes would be something, and I like the the lined cans that are safe, <laughs> um, whenever possible. Um, I like to also think about, you know, when I am stocking my, uh, when I'm stocking my pantry, you know, I like to look at things like, you know, having lots of nuts and um, I like to soak my nuts as much as possible. So I'll get, I like to get raw nuts. I like to soak them overnight, drain them, and then I like to dehydrate them. I find that for myself, and for a lot of people, it's a little bit easier on the digestion. So having a pantry full of raw nuts is really important. I also um, love nut butters. Almond butter is one of my favorite things. And macadamia nut butter, if you can find it anymore, it's really difficult to find. But, you know, of course, it's easy to make in a in a good blender or um, a food processor. But I like to do that. And um, I have a jar of honey that I use for different things. Um, I have honeybees in my backyard, and so I um, definitely have a jar of honey, and I use that um, during during allergy season medicinally and take about a half teaspoon of honey a day, and it keeps me allergy-free, believe it or not. So those are just a couple of things. I have oils, of course, different vinegars. Um, let's see, what else do I have? Um, I have some dried fruit that I'll snip or sun-dried tomatoes and things that I can snip into the um, into my cooking. Um, lots of coconut milk. I use that as a stand-in for different things. And lots of herbs, lots of spices. I have some sea vegetables. Dolphins, kelp are huge. I use those um, quite a bit in my cooking. And it's just, it has an interesting edge, I think, and it gives an interesting edge to my cooking, especially it's nice to sprinkle it in a little bit of... Um, you know, like a seafood chowder. It tastes really, really good. Well, I noticed that it, like you have a recipe, for example, for chicken noodle soup, and then I immediately checked the ingredients, and I thought, hmm, what are you using for noodles if you've got a gluten-free recipe? And so can you share that with people? Sure. So chicken noodle soup, let me see what page is that on. Oh, well, it's the kelp noodles. I'll, I'll, I'll... Okay, I'll you're give giving, a clue. giving it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I just want you to know, will you talk about kelp noodles, where, I, where you get them? Yeah. And I'm sure many people have never even heard what they are. 
I know they're really bizarre. Um, if, if you're not, not familiar with kelp noodles, they're you know obviously made out of kelp, and and very little else. And they're like these slimy, disgustingly seeming uh, noodles that you that are packed in water, and you rinse them over and over and over again, and you use them that way. Um, in uh, in you just add them to the to the soup, and and it doesn't take very long for them to cook. And they're they're kind of an interesting texture, and people either love them or hate them. Um, that's what I found anyway. But I found the kelp noodles to be quite interesting, and I like them. I just think it, it, um, what do you think of kelp noodles? Do you like them? I do. You know, I go on a set of, uh, not, I don't want to say binges, but like uh, trends where I'll have something and use it for a while, and then I forget about them. So that reminded me when I saw the recipe in your book, I thought, oh, yeah, 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 I haven't done had those in a while. And I agree with you, though, you got to rinse them. I actually soak mine, uh, you know, rinse them a few times. Yeah, and then you can even get soak them and then rinse get them. them. Yeah, there's two different ways to get them, and and uh, I do I like them dry too because you can soak them, and it and it kind of takes the, um, it, it takes a little bit of the whatever out of it. But it it is odd, and it is a fun way to get your seaweed in. You know, mm, and for <laughs> some reason, seaweed's always been a very complimentary flavor with um, wheat-free tamari. So what I I'll even do is. After I've rinsed them a few times, is I'll actually even no matter whatever whatever type I have, dried or not, I'll put them in the water with a little tamari, which gives them just a little more. I, I feel like it gives them a little bit more. Um, it takes away that seaweedy flavor. You can't tell it's in there at all if you put a little bit of tamari in the water. Those are just things I play around. That's with. That's a really but, good idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. They already have a little bit of a salty taste. You don't need much. Just that it just helps with a little bit of flavor. Well. Um, sure. So. The book is out. Where can people get the book? Um, well, it's everywhere. You can find it online everywhere. It should be in your favorite bookstore as well. The publisher's Plume, which is a, a a penguin imprint. So it's out there. It's out there everywhere. Yay. <laughs> and um, what do you think your next book's going to be after this one? Oh, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to my agent about that. And, you know, there's there's a lot of considerations. And, and this, this one was kind of a, um, you know, my, my, my key thing is, is food. I'm all about the food. I'm about making sure that people get back to the dinner table and that they're enjoying their food. And this is, you know, going paleo was sort of an adventure to me. And I, I took a lot of my audience with me. And, but, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm agnostic, if you will, about food because I want people to understand that it's about whole foods. Whether you go the paleo route or not, what I want to see is people eating clean whole food, um, whether you're vegan, whether you're a vegetarian, whether you're part-time paleo, full-time paleo, or, you know, high-carb, low-carb, whatever your thing is, whatever makes you, you know, makes your your engine roar, that's what I want people to do is, but as long as they're staying away from the processed food and they're eating the whole foods and they're doing it in community with family and friends and really enjoying the whole experience of cooking and understanding that, you know, cooking isn't drudgery. It isn't, you know, akin to toilet cleaning. Cooking is, is a joy and it's a pleasure and it's something that um, some people don't have the privilege of doing. So that's my message. And, and, you know, what my next book is going to be about. It's going to be something about that. <laughs> mm, interesting. Well, we'll be waiting for that one, too. You know, um, I hope people 
because uh, I was with a whole bunch of vegans this weekend, and I never, you know, if somebody's just 100% committed to something, I am not going to be the one that says you shouldn't be doing that. I hope they figure that on their, out on their own. But, you know, they're very likely to be tw- very deficient in a bunch of different nutrients, and including B12. But also the thing is if they leave out animal protein, uh, delicious recipes like this, from their diet, that leaves them more with um, a lot of plant foods, but particularly grains and vegetables, I mean, grains and nuts and seeds. That That's where they're getting their protein, really, is from the nuts and seeds, and that makes a person very, very high in copper. Those foods are high in copper, so they're not getting enough zinc, and they don't realize why they become so tired, uh, because mm-hmm. once they throw that too much copper, it makes you extremely tired. Um, Anne Louise Gittleman wrote a book, uh, years ago called Why Am I So Tired on this very subject. I don't think it was uh, well uh, that well received because I think it's an important book. But um, I just hope that people, I, I just think the the message of your title even is that if we could just be part-time paleo, our health is going to improve mm-hmm. enormously. So I really want to thank you for the effort that you put into this book and I think it's going to make people a whole lot better, feel better. You know, like, okay, I can do it part-time. I don't have to do it 100%. And that that takes a, you know, people are kind of scared of, oh, my gosh, I have to adopt this all the time, 100% of the time. So I think you're going to find you've got a really successful book on your hands, and I'd like to thank you for doing this for us. It's a lot of wonderful oh, recipes. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, and thank you so much for having me, Donna. It's been really great talking with you. Well, it won't be long before we see each other again, too. So thank That's true, you, exactly. Thank you okay. very much. Today I've had for my guest, Leanne Eli. Her website is savingdinner.com, and her new book is called Part-Time Paleo, How to Go Paleo Without Going Crazy. Thank you for listening, everyone, and for subscribing to Body Ecology Living with me, Donna Gates. Let's work together to make this a happier, healthier world.